another visitor. Stay a while. Stay forever. Alright troops, welcome to episode 5 of the Tired Old Hack Podcast, I'm your host Chris Scullion. I'm doing something a bit different for this episode, uh, this episode and the next episode will be a two-part affair in which I interview my guest Mike Jackson who is a long-time friend of mine, he's been on the official Nintendo magazine uh, when EMAP Publishing made it, he wrote for the official Nintendo magazine when Future Publishing made it, which was when I was there. Uh, he was he worked on the official Xbox magazine in the UK. He worked for CVG. It's computervideogames.com. So he's done. He's been around the block. So we haven't spoken for a couple of years. Like we obviously speak a lot on social media and the like, but we hadn't had a proper sit down and chat because he lives in Las Vegas now. So we hadn't had a proper uh, discussion for a couple of years, and I asked him to be a guest on the podcast, and he agreed, and. The plan was to do like an hour long thing, just like most of the other episodes have been so far, and it ended up going to two hours. So what I've done, split it into two parts because it's it starts with some interesting kind of anecdotes about uh, the old days of games journalism, and then gets into proper hardcore uh, switch talk. Uh, so apologies again to the one guy a couple of weeks ago who gave the podcast the one star review because all I did was talk about Nintendo. Uh, that is not going to change for the next couple of episodes, I'm afraid. When the Switch, when you consider the Switch is out in about a month, um, in less than a month at the time of recording this, it just makes sense that we're going to be mostly talking about the Switch because if you look at social media and websites, most people are talking about the Switch. So I'm sorry, I will be talking about other formats in the future, uh, but for now... Switch is the hot topic, so it makes sense to talk about Switch. So yeah, so th- this episode is part one. Uh, it was done over Skype, so the sound quality may be slightly poorer than what you're used to. Um, noticed it in the Skype uh, for whatever reason during this phone during this certain call. Anytime I spoke, uh, Mike's feed stopped, so I made sure to kind of for the most part make it. He speaks, then I speak, kind of thing. So there's no none of us gonna interrupt each other. So it's a weird kind of situation. Going forward um, with Skype calls, I'm going to make sure, or ideally, give an option so that the person doing the call can record their own uh, voice as well, so that we can kind of join them together and get better quality. But for now, it's perfectly listenable. Hopefully, you'll enjoy it. The, the quality of the discussion is hopefully good enough that you'll put up with the sound issues and hopefully still enjoy. Uh, what should be a, an entertaining chat about Mike's career, about what it was like for both me and him uh, during the O&M days and what it was like. What, what the most ridiculous anecdote you'll hear about the DS. Um, he was the first man in the world to do something very interesting on the DS um, and you'll get to hear what that is. It's a bit ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, hopefully you enjoy it. And yeah, next week will be part two so you'll get to hear the rest of the conversation. But for now, uh, get ready for a drop in quality, and I hope you enjoy part one. Cheers. Right, I'm here today with uh, a very good friend of mine for more than a decade, uh, formerly of Nintendo, the official magazine, then of uh, freelancer for the official Nintendo magazine, and then official Xbox magazine, and then CBG. I don't think I've missed anything out. That's pretty much it, isn't it? Mostly, yeah. I could I could name some of my accolades, but we'll just leave that, I guess. Yeah, yeah we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm joined by the wonderful Mike Jackson coming to us live, well pre-recorded from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, I believe. Um, That's where I'm at. How's tricks? Yeah, it's all good, man. I'm just uh, getting used to Vegas life. Still, I'm seven years in now, and I still feel like the new guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how, is it a total, t- total change of pace or is it all kind of... Yeah, people always ask me, would you move back to London? Like, no, because <laughs> like the lifestyle is just so much better, you know? Like, people just seem to have more expendable income. It's not necessarily that they earn more. It's just like, for example, my house is bigger than any house I'd have ever lived in in London, probably for the next 50 years. Yeah. And it's the equivalent of about £650 a month for yeah. mortgage. That's crazy. Which is insane, right? It might as well be free. 
I wouldn't even bother charging me because it's not even, you know, it's it's so little cash. But yeah. relatively speaking, you know, if we were in London in a house this size, I'd have a, I'd be a millionaire. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so that kind of stuff, you know, people are quite happy with what they have because of the cheapness of it. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's good, you know. And I, and because of that, I, I get to do nerdy things like set, I have an entire room dedicated to Nintendo. I don't yeah, know if you've seen that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know, like, I could never do that in London. I had one shitty room for everything I loved, right? Like, <laughs> now I have, like, a room where I build drones and I, like, fly drones. And I have a separate room that's entirely dedicated to Nintendo. And then I have another room that's entirely a VR room. And that's, like, ridiculous talk, right? Yeah. What am I doing with my life? That's the I'm 30. <laughs> by the way, I'm 32. <laughs> that's all right. That's acceptable. <laughs> yeah. um, right, well, obviously, uh, there'll be a lot of young bucks um, who have jumped in in this bandwagon later on and may not be familiar, well, are barely familiar with me and also won't be familiar with you. So let's talk about how you got into the biz at the start um, the, on the oh, old yeah. NOM and days, NOM days. It's, it's, so, it's so long ago, actually. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of started off, I guess, like many people where I was a bit of a Nintendo mentalist in school, getting into fights about whether the... SNES or the Genesis was better and then shortly after that the, the N64 and the PlayStation and I uh, and I used to fuel that addiction with um, Nintendo magazine so I used to go to the store and I'd be there right in the morning right before the stores even open waiting to get my magazine and I used to be that idiot that bought two copies <laughs> because I wanted to read one and I wanted a mint condition one <laughs> put in a box you know um, so obviously it goes without saying that my dream would have been to just to meet those guys let alone to work with them yeah. um one of my friends who you may or may not have met actually he's now the editor of um games tm magazine okay but uh his name's jonathan gordon he's an amazing guy yeah. uh um and we used to be best friends at school and it was him who first actually got into nintendo magazine um some work experience we did for a couple of weeks he did it and then um, shortly after that, he took me into the magazine with him to do a photo shoot. And uh, I begged the guys like crazy that if during the six weeks holiday, the summer holiday, if I could come in and do anything for them for free, right? When I was like, fifth, I think I was 15 at the time. We yeah. were about to leave school. And they said yes. Uh, you know, that seemed to go pretty well. So I went in. Um, and that was right around the time they were doing the Pokemon Master Guide for the original Pokemon Red and Blue. Right. So my very first assignment as a sort of six, 15-year-old kid fresh out of school um, was to play Pokemon Red using the guide that they had written and make sure that there weren't any mistakes. And if there were any, just no, make a note of them and so that they could rewrite so they could rewrite the text. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just went ahead and rewrote the text for them, and they were quite impressed by that. Um, that was uh, so for that they weren't supposed to pay me, but they ended up buying me a Dreamcast and all of the uh, all of the launch games, nice. which was which was an incredible moment. Not just because the Dreamcast was tits, right? But <laughs> I was sort of in a I was in a fairly you know I have a I had a fairly modest upbringing, right? When it comes to finances, and never really got consoles when they first came out. Yeah. So to be like. To have worked myself and got a console that anyway that's a, that's like kind of sidetracking but yeah, yeah, got the even so, yeah, yeah um, and then it just kind of went step from step from there you know I'd got my foot in the door I knew the Nintendo magazine guys they appreciated the work I did um, I got really lucky because I didn't have to go and get um, you know five year degrees or anything like that yeah. um, I went to college and did a media course and did a BTEC advanced diploma I think it was called. Um, but really that was complete waste of time because the whole time I was writing tips and cheats for Nintendo magazine. And when I finished college at 18, I think it was, mm. I went straight in full time as a, as a tips editor for Nintendo. And that's pretty much how it started. So I was from there. 15 until, well, you know, like probably yeah. the longest writer there. I was freelancing with, on, with them until right up till the end. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, from what I hear, cause this was obviously, this was an EMAP, was it? Yeah, EMAP so, the original. So this yeah. was before, for people who don't know, this was EMAP had the official Nintendo license and then eventually Nintendo didn't renew the license and gave it to Future and that's when I came yeah, in. Yeah. E EMAP and Future Publishing are both publishing companies that yeah. run magazines and um, Nintendo, the company itself, would officially license a publishing company to make their official magazine. And for years, consecutively, it was EMAP. Um, I think it's once every four years that license would expire and all the company would pitch, but it was usually expected that by default, EMAP would get the license. And they had it right from like Nintendo Magazine system right up to like just before the Wii came out. And I guess um, 
uh, yeah, everybody pitched in like they usually do. Emap was feeling pretty confident about it. They were fairly bullish about it, and then Future won it, <laughs> <laughs> um, which for me meant the end of my job at Nintendo Magazine because it was basically uh, the, the magazine that when when that happens when the when the license was transferred away from Emap, Emap were had a choice. They could either ditch the Nintendo Magazine mm-hmm. or they could go ahead and continue making one under an official brand, right? Yeah. So just like N64, Play, or any of those magazines used to. Um, of course, they chose to just ditch the mag altogether, yeah. which for me meant redundancy. Um, but actually, um, and at the time, I was absolutely distraught, right? But um, actually, it was a blessing in disguise because several things, mass, like several huge things happened for me after that. Um, I got a job at Future Publishing, um, working with the official Xbox magazine, which of course led to meeting um, some awesome people in, in the world. Uh, Gavin Ogden, who was the former editor of Nintendo, uh, Xbox, sorry. Um, you, obviously. Of course. <laughs> uh, uh, Andy Robinson, who was the uh, the editor of CBG and its yeah. closing date. When I worked with him, we were both um, section editors on CBG. Um, and obviously, me moving to Vegas was all, it all happened because of a press trip yeah. that I got, wouldn't have got if I'd still a Nintendo magazine in the middle of Potato Bar, <laughs> otherwise Peter Bar. So... <laughs> Um, it was kind of it was kind of awesome. I really wanted to go back to London at the time, and so it was the downfall of the old magazine. But it started a new one, and then of course it was weird because I got it was me breaking away from Nintendo magazine, but getting a job at Future Publishing with Xbox. Uh, yeah. Future Publishing, by the way, for the sake of the readers, Future Publishing at the time when they won the Nintendo license, they also had the PlayStation and Sony license, uh, the PlayStation and Xbox. Xbox. Yeah. And I got a job at Xbox, and so. After saying goodbye to the Nintendo magazine, within three weeks, I was in the same office as the new Nintendo magazine. So I immediately started freelancing for those guys and um, and never stopped, basically. Yeah. It's funny because I remember when I, when I first joined, uh, this was like issue four of the official magazine. So I basically became the new staff writer. Um, and it was weird because I, I was totally green and, and had absolutely no idea how, how it went. Um, I was under the impression that because I was hired as a staff writer, yes, I'm the main man. <laughs> you didn't realise that staff writer was the fucking lowest of the low. And I'm like, okay, right, I'm the main man, let's fucking do this. And uh, the first big game that came out when I started was uh, New Super Mario Brothers on DS. Yeah, the, the DS one, right? Yeah, and I yeah. was like, yes, I can't fucking wait to do this. And Chandra, who was the deputy head at the time, says, yeah, we're going to give this to Mike Jackson to freelance. I was like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> Fucking, I'm going to have this prick, but um, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then realised actually, yeah, you've got to earn that shit. Um, so yeah, that was totally. Eventually, that was fine. But <laughs> it's, it's weird because I have a I have a terrible memory, but I actually vividly remember doing the official Nintendo magazine Super Mario, uh, New Super Mario Brothers uh, review. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember that, and I remember this Scottish dick in the corner, like. <laughs> Sour grapes in his eyes, you yeah. know, like fuck that guy. I don't know why. I actually didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. The, the glory days. But um, so from what I've heard, obviously I wasn't there in the EMAP days. But from what I've heard, the office was kind of uh, <laughs> fucking like no holds barred, basically. From what I heard, there's footballs getting kicked about and all this kind of stuff. Mate, it was fucking lawless. <laughs> 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 um, you know. We made a magazine about games, um, and we're all just a bunch of lads, uh, or more appropriately, a bunch of twats, and we basically just did whatever we wanted. Um, it was funny because even when they moved us from London, we were, we, when we were in London, um, it was mostly a different team, actually, but when we were in London, we were on a, we were on a, we were on a floor almost entirely on our own. And you could see that sort of, office, as the office was being emptied out, you know, we just had a floor to ourselves. And when we went to Peterborough, we very much expected to be back in the loop, you know, in the yeah. company, around people. But we ended up in some shitty office in a place called Orton Goldhay. Put it on a list of places you never want to go. And um, and uh, we, we ended up once again on a floor, almost entirely on our own. And, and uh, yeah, we were playing cha- what we called chair darts, which meant someone brought in a dartboard. Uh, I don't know if I should be telling Yeah, who yeah, cares, right? Fuck it. No one, no one works it anymore. <laughs> Um, so someone brought in a dartboard with the innocent intention of us playing darts during lunchtime, but darts quickly gets boring as anyone who's ever played darts realizes if you're not hammered, it's, it's a pretty shit game. So we spice things up by instead of standing the, you know, the, the requisite, like, what's it? 12 feet or something from a dart, 
we would just sit at our desks, which was about 35 feet from the dartboard, and then we would hoof the fucking darts across the, <laughs> across the office, um, as you do, right? <laughs> and uh, one day, a member of staff, should I say, uh, accidentally, uh, well, completely missed the dartboard and, um, and hit a pipe that was a part of the radiator system. And you have to be really precise with this because the radiator system piping is metal, right? So if you hit it with a dart, you would expect it to be, if it was either to the left or to the right, it would just bounce off the, the, the pipe, right? Yeah. But it hit the pipe dead in the center and just went straight through it. And then they pulled the dart out and it, it was pissing water everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had to somehow explain that one off as um, a perfectly innocent accident. We were playing absolutely normal darts. We were playing the kind of darts that reasonable people play. <laughs> and somehow um, a dart was thrown with enough force to pierce a, uh, a copper tube. Fucking hell. <laughs> so it's, yes. it's funny because so, you imagine, because you hear people like, thinking, oh, I wonder what it would be like to work in a magazine like that, and you, you don't picture that at all. You picture fucking, well, to be fair, well, it, it did happen sometimes, but it's certainly in the future, you picture like four-player Mario Kart at lunchtime and all that stuff, and that did eventually happen. But you certainly yeah. don't picture fucking children in the corn. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it was it was it was all aspects right like it was lawless kids doing stupid stuff like that and kicking footballs at each other and stuff like that but and emptying each other's bins on each other's desks and sellotaping meat to each other's screens just because they're vegetarian <laughs> but <laughs> but um it was also all the stuff you would expect and again you know we had a we had a team. It was great because we had a team of people. And this sounds surprising because I imagine loads of people out there would think all games journalists and everyone in the games industry are passionate gamers, right? But the sad truth, actually, especially for people like me and you, mm. is when you're in a team of five people and you expect absolutely five hardcore gamers, the truth is that's not always the case. Yeah. And, you know, I was in the team with, with um, a guy called Dean Scott who was just an incredible... Um, you know, he was an incredible writer, an amazing personality, a really, like, dominant, infectious personality that everybody just loved, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and Tim Street, who was the editor of the Nintendo magazine at the time, um, Dan Payne, um, Kingsley Singleton, you know, like, these are all people that, um, Dominic Wint, um, these are all the former Nintendo magazine guys, and they were all proper gamers, you know? Yeah. They all cared about Mario Kart and, and various things. They all liked their own... Uh, they all had their own hobbies as well, but they all loved video games. And so, yeah, we would play a ton of Mario Kart. I think we did at least a year of Time Splitter, uh, Time Splitters 2. Uh, pretty much, GoldenEye was a running game. And I'm talking about well into the GameCube's life, we were still firing oh, up GoldenEye uh, on a daily basis and playing GoldenEye. Yeah. So, yeah, we were that. And, and we were the noisiest team in the office, without a doubt, right? Because no one would hold back when they lost a, 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 a shootout in GoldenEye. Like, fuck! <laughs> Shit. <laughs> you know, um, one of the guys would always complain that whenever he found a gun, it was always what he called the musket, which was basically the big revolver, uh, the really inaccurate revolver gun. I'm ashamed for not knowing the exact name of the gun in GoldenEye that was the big revolver, but it was yeah. a really slow, slow shooting gun. Um, and it was crap for the mode we used to play because we used to play um, License to Kill, which basically meant like one hit one shot, kills. Yeah. One shot anywhere in the body, any gun, it doesn't matter. Like, if you get hit, you're dead. So, obviously, it was advantageous to have the the DD-44s, right? Pistols only, by the way. So, DD-44s, they were the highest firing rounds. They were the most accurate. Yeah. But he would always end up with the fucking musket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and go mental. So, uh, those are the glory days, man. Yeah. Local I'm trying to fire that up again. I'm going to get Bomberman, I'm telling you. I'm going to yeah. do it. We need to talk about Bomberman a bit, because I'm curious to know what you think about that. Um, you, I heard a story that I don't know if you're able to tell, um, about when you guys all went to E3 at the time, um, involving picture chat. Is that not a tellable story? Uh, I, no, yeah, it's tellable. I, I believe maybe <laughs> I'm trying to think if it may affect future career decisions of mine. Cause I may or may not. Well, want I mean, to. bear in mind you were a child at the time, very much still. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's fine. <laughs> So I was basically living the dream, right? I was uh, 17 or 18, maybe 18 years old, something like that. Um, super young. I, I think, I believe uh, I was the youngest games journalist in any of the high, any of the high profile publications in the UK, right? Yeah. Um, I believe I was 17 years old. 
and living the dream, working for Nintendo Magazine full-time, and they had decided, for some reason, that um, it was a good idea to take me with them to E3 to write a bunch of stuff. So I went with Tim Street and Dean Scott to E3, um, and we were... It was the E3. My first E3 was 2004. Um, they were... Um, they were unveiling the new Nintendo handheld, which was obviously, uh, which later on became to be the DS. Yeah. Um, at the time, I think we know we knew it as the Nitro, um, and it was rumored to have two screens. Whatever. They announced the the DS uh, prototype, and so we were the first people in the world, or among the first people in the world, to play this machine, right? And since we worked for the official Nintendo magazine, amongst the first people of the world. Those attend, which are those who attended E3. We were the first of those because yeah. we were given VIP treatment, right? So straight out of the conference hall, straight into a sort of upper level deck booth room area where no one else could go, not even other journalists for the most part. Um, and we were standing, you know, amongst developers and people like that. And we were in this room where there was several DSs all set up and... Uh, they had PictoChat running um, in communication in sync with several other machines. And, uh, just, just to clarify, just for people who may not remember it, because we're talking over a decade now, which is ridiculous, uh, PictoChat was basically the, the DS's built-in chat software where you could uh, type messages and, and draw pictures. It's basically like an early Meverse, but it was only kind of local... Local, yeah, yeah it, was, it was local only, so there was no online posting. It would just, it would, it would share anything you drew or wrote directly to machines in the local area. Yeah, and um, so you know, you start off just writing your name, whatever. But there is one saying that's true in the world: if you give a man a canvas, <laughs> <laughs> he will draw a penis. <laughs> so I drew a penis, and um. <laughs> And uh, but I, the thing is, it was it was an innocent penis because I wasn't intending to send it. <laughs> I was just intending to draw it and show it to one of my colleagues and say, "Look, I probably drew the world's first penis." Unless there's someone internally at Nintendo, like seriously, like Miyamoto or someone who drew a penis on the DS, <laughs> I was probably the first guy to do it. First person ever draw a DS dick. And I drew one, and I said, "Look, I've probably drawn the first dick on a Dina on a DS ever." And then the person I was showing it to reached over and hit send. <laughs> and uh, and uh, one of the Nintendo um, like honchos came over. He was I, I don't think he was actually sort of a Nintendo employee. He was more like a, a one of the security, security guards yeah. there or someone to make sure that you didn't steal a highly valuable. By the way, this was a DS prototype. It wasn't even the initial machine. It was a it was the early prototype. You can see pictures of it. Oh, online. yeah, that weird-looking one with the black bit at the top and all that. Yeah, and the sort of uh, uh, two-tone shell, so it had, like, silver on the outsides yeah. and, like, orange down the middle. Um, it was ugly as hell, but it was awesome to be holding it and draw penises on it for the first time. <laughs> and uh, and um, one of the guys, anyway, one of the security guards saw it, uh, saw me sort of laughing my face off because it was funny, <laughs> and knew immediately that it was me who drew it, although he didn't know it wasn't me who sent it, and he kicked me out. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, I got uh, my claim to fame is I got kicked out of the very first Nintendo DS prototype, prototype hands-on session ever. <laughs> For being the first man ever to draw a cock on the DS. The ever to draw a dick and send it over picture chat, which I'm sure I wasn't the last, but... <laughs> no, that's amazing, uh, but yeah, so that was a funny story. Nintendo, cool. please don't listen to this nah, podcast. Nah, it's too late, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> never going to work for Nintendo ever again. <laughs> oh, that's genius. Well, you, you, you went there as well like, to the Japanese. That was like, that's one of the funniest and most tragic stories you've told me is the first time you went to Japan. <laughs> so, like, in, 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 in quote marks, went to Japan. Because <laughs> you just fucking went there and came right back, didn't you? Yeah, I just sort of flew there, had some noodles, and then came home again. It was really shit. And considering it's like, what, a 14-hour flight? Yeah. I think, I think I actually worked it out that we spent less than, like... Uh, okay, so if you, if you remove time spent sleeping, which was as, as little as possible for me because I'm in Japan for the first time ever. Yeah. If you remove time spent sleeping, I was, I was in Japan for less time than I was on a plane. <laughs> Um, or, or in transit because it was a 14 hour flight but you spend like an hour getting to the airport you yeah. spend three hours checking in getting to the gate sitting around waiting for them to get their asses into gear so 
if you combine transit time door to door, I spent more time traveling than I did actually enjoying being in Japan. Yeah. But you know, I, you know what? If if I've already been and I went back again um, with my wife um, for a, for a ten or ten or twelve days or something. Um, I absolutely love Japan. So mm. if you told me right now today, if you were the owner of a massive corporation and you said go to Japan, spend a day there, and come back home again, I would do it. I'd jump right on that plane. Yeah. So. It was, it was crap, but it was also incredible. I think I took, so in the 20 hours I was actually on the ground, I took 295 pictures, <laughs> uh, which was at the time the maximum my shitty Casio camera could take <laughs> before running out of space. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was great, man. It was great. Yeah, good old days. Um, yeah, so then obviously you went to Future, um, did the OXM thing, did the O&M stuff, but presumably, I mean, like me, Although you're in all formats, it's always Nintendo first and foremost, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I, pl I probably play the PS4 more than anything this mm. current generation. But it, and but yet, you know, it's the Nintendo, because Nintendo has basically defined my life. And I don't just mean that because that's all I've done in my entire life. I have lots of other passions and I've achieved other things. But no matter what I've done or where I've been in the world, it can all be traced back to Nintendo, right? Mm. Because... I mean, the the very house I live in right now, in in right here in Vegas. The only reason I'm in this house is because of my career. Yeah. The and the only reason I'm in that career is because of my passion for Nintendo. Right. Like that's literally the only reason why I have or have done anything. And I can't imagine. You know, there was probably a small period of my childhood, maybe a year or two, where parents couldn't afford to buy me any new games. All I had, I had a NES and I had a copy of Pro Protector and that was pretty much it. I didn't have anything else. Yeah. And I got really bored and I stopped playing video games, right? I stopped thinking about them. We couldn't afford them. That was it, right? And I had a BMX bike and I just used to ride that. And so for all intents and purposes, for that small window, I was a normal kid, right? I was out playing around, throwing tennis balls, you know, causing trouble. And... And then um, I don't know what happened. I think I went to another school. I went to, we moved up from one school to another and I met a kid who had a fuck ton of Nintendo games and, and I made really good friends with him. And it was him who lent it, uh, you know, being happy to meet, to lend me these games one by one that actually got re rekindled my interest in Nintendo. And then my mum bought me a snares somehow. And, and then boom, that was it, back yeah. into video games. And from that point on, probably from the age of about seven years old, eight years old, I just didn't give a shit about football, about riding bikes, about like anything else. I just didn't care. All I wanted to do was talk about Nintendo, read about Nintendo, and play Nintendo, right? And that's kind of hasn't changed all the way up to now. Like, I love racing drones. I love playing PlayStation. I love fast cars. But I will, I will always... Like I will, they will, it will always send shivers like down my spine when Nintendo announces a new console yeah. or when they announce a new Mario game, right? So as you can imagine, like right now at the moment, I always consider these windows of time where we don't quite have the console yet to be the best points of my life, <laughs> uh, and uh, because all I can think about right now is the damn Switch. That's it. Like yeah. I, I don't even care about Ferrari. I work in a job that I'm fortunate enough to drive Ferraris and Lamborghinis every day, and. I don't care one bit. <laughs> I want to switch, right? Like, screw Lamborghinis. I don't care. Have you been able to try it yet? Um, no. Um, and you know what's interesting about that is I'm actually happy about that for mm. the first time in my yeah. life. And I, I think I'd spoke to you about this before. And because I, I had to think about it, there isn't a single Nintendo console. I didn't think about other platforms. This might be true of other platforms as well. But there certainly isn't a single Nintendo console in existence that I have not played before I owned it. Every single one mm. I played before I owned it, right? So when I was a kid, I played my friends once before I got one. Um, and then when I became fortunate enough to be in the games industry, I played everything, yeah. you know, a year or more before I even could even consider having it at home, right? And the Nintendo Switch will be the first console in my entire life that the first time I see that machine in the flesh, the first time I press a button, the first time I fire it up will be in my house, on my television, in my living room. Yeah. And I'm kind of yeah. pumped, man. It's like my own little E3 in my house, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I'm, it's going to be really exciting and really unique to do that, and I can't wait. So I actually, if they have a demo any, at any point between now and the next month, I'm not going to go to it. I'm not going to attend. Yeah. It's the first thing for me, I'd say that's something like this in an older podcast where, um, you, I mean, you, you know the same as me, that when, when you play, get to play these things in advance, 
um, like at press events and stuff. Like when the Wii came out, when the Wii was coming out and the Wii U and the 3DS and all that kind of stuff, you play it and you go, "This is really cool. This is excellent." You start talking about it and all that. Um, but then by the time it's coming out, you're kind of you're almost kind of used to it, so the, the the excitement isn't quite there. It's still amazing to have like new hardware, but it's like, well, I've seen the UI before and I, and I know how it works and I've moved the remote already and I've used the gamepad and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. it's the, this is the first time I can remember since I started this, like, what well, since I started at OM that I've gone away after playing something and thought I'm fucking desperate to play this again. It's like I'm not yeah. like I'm not over it yet. It's like it's like this is it was so impressive. Like it didn't feel like a Nintendo system. It feels like a like a really not not that I'm not that I'm insulting Nintendo, I guess, but it feels like a really high quality piece of tech, you know what I mean? It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, it's, it doesn't feel plasticky. It's like fucking solid. It's amazing. It's yeah, I mean you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that just this morning. That it's it's probably the first machine. I mean, look, I'm sure anyone listening to this knows that we don't need to remind anyone now at this point that we're stupidly ridiculous Nintendo fans, right? <laughs> we love everything they do, or almost everything they do. But I also think it's fair to say that Nintendo, when I think about it, they haven't actually demonstrated a very. Um, uh, they haven't actually demonstrated that they can make premium level hardware, right? Like the NES was incredible, but it was an underpowered piece of kit compared to some of the other stuff that was around at the yeah. time, right? Like you didn't go to NES because you wanted the best graphics you'd ever seen. People bought NESs because they were the right price, the right kind of game. They were fun, right? You plug them in, you turn them on and they just work. Yeah. Um, SNES was an incredible piece of hardware, but it, and that's probably the like closest to the most flawless piece of hardware they've ever made. But it did have small architectural things about it, right? Like I think was it the um, the 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 CPU was a little slower than the Mega Drive, so it couldn't pixels around very well. So it had to. It was very minimalist in how many pix how many sprites. Sorry, not pixels, but sprites. How many sprites it could render at the same time. Yeah. And that's evident in like games like uh, Contra. If you Contra Stroke Protector, if you play the SNES one, I think the SNES one's better. But it's slower paced and there's fewer enemies and fewer things going on screen. And then you play the Mega Drive one and it's just absolutely mental, right? Like you shoot a helicopter and it explodes into a million like flame sprites and there's 50 wolves in there trying to chew you up and everything. So it's kind of crazy. And, and, you know, and as I think through each console, the N64, my favorite thing of all time, was a very flawed piece of hardware, right? Mm -hmm architecturally speaking, like usability, expense, everything. The GameCube was incredible, but it really would have been nice if they had just stuck to a normal size CD, right? Like, yeah. I think that would have that would have helped possibly open the uh, open channels for um, multimedia, right? And I, we, know, we now know that Nintendo doesn't give a shit about multimedia, but back then it would have, the, the, the general consensus was it couldn't play Blu-rays, uh, DVDs, because it didn't have the CD drive. Um, the Wii... I've, I've ended up being not the biggest fan of the Wii, yeah. um, uh, just because I don't think it was a particularly good piece of hardware in itself. Um, I don't think the Wii remotes delivered on the promise that they... Uh, all the best games on the Wii, all the games I played the most, didn't really use the Wii remote, yeah. right? The ones that used it the least. Um, the Wii U, I love the game. Super Mario 3D World is probably in my top 10, top 5 even, right? I just adore the thing, and I'm actually playing the Wii U before you called me, so... Oh, yes. Mario Maker's on in the background. But the machine is like, it's slow to load pretty much everything. The download speed's atrocious. Like, I have 150 megabit internet, and it takes 10 minutes to download a patch. I don't get that. You know, like, I can I can download, I can stream three 4K movies at the same time, no problem. And this yeah. thing takes ages to update Mario Maker. So all of those things, I just think, mean that, like, and generally speaking, Nintendo hasn't made that many examples of premium hardware. Maybe the DSi. Yeah, you know, maybe the DSi, um, but the Switch. Yeah, you're right. It just looks like a machine that come came from a different company. It's yeah. almost like a Sony device. It looks very sleek. And I mean, very I mean, yeah. And I mean, to be fair, the, the, there is still a chance for it to fuck a lot up. Do you know what I mean, because we still there's still a lot about it we don't know. For all we know, the UI could be just as clunky as the we use is. The online might still be slow as shit, even though they're going to start charging for it. So there's a lot of unknowns still there. Yeah, but it's certainly in terms of the quality of the game, it's it's like when I was playing Mario Kart. Like at first I was playing, it, I was going, "Yeah, it's pretty cool," because I played I think, Street Fighter and Bomberman on it first, and I was like, "Yes, yeah, quite cool." And then it was when I was playing Mario Kart, and like I sat down and started playing Mario Kart on the kind of handheld version of it. 
and wasn't really reacting. I was just like, yeah, it's Mario Kart. But as well, I got to like the set. By the time I got to like the second or third lap, I was like, wait a fucking minute, this is running just as good as a Wii U does, if not a bit better. Like it, it was, it was native 1080p on on a TV instead of 720, and it was about playing on a handheld, handheld, proper smooth as fuck, 60 frames a second, looked identical to the the Wii U version. And it was at that moment I was like, this is fucking so much. Like I mean, you treat it as a handheld. When you go from the 3DS to this, it's, it's probably the biggest leap they've ever done since maybe SNES oh, yeah. 64. In a, in a handheld, uh, the biggest leap, absolutely, yeah. But yeah. yeah, I know what you mean, right? Since, since from SNES to N64, yeah, it's just insane. Yeah, and I, you're right, though. There are a lot of unknowns when it comes to its load speeds, how it manages memory, and all of those things. And I really hope, you know, Nintendo have had two opportunities to do this. They did it with the, you know, they've had the Wii, they've had the GameCube. Uh, sorry, the Wii and the Wii U. Yeah. And I'm hoping that this shift to what seems to be a slightly different hardware architecture and a different design ethos pushes them to focus on the usability of these consoles, right? Like, it actually baffles me how Nintendo, as a, as a company that focuses on things, you know, to go from to go from a company that boasted about the game, like when we were at the GameCube uh, E3 2000 and what would it have been, 2? Yeah, 2002 or 2001, I think it was 2001. One of their primary demos for GameCube, right, their new flashy new games console, was that from from boot up, from firing up the games console to actually playing Luigi's Mansion, like in-game, there was no load screen, right? That's not to say that it immediately loaded up into gameplay, but it did the GameCube logo and then it did a Nintendo logo and you were in, like you were in. And they and they said this was a machine that almost eradicates game when when programmed for properly almost eradicates loading because it can sideload stuff while other things are going on so yeah. cutscenes or you know that was a big thing and Nintendo for years have always talked about how they want their machines or any of their tech to be approachable and usable right so it baffles me how they put out a console like the Wii U that takes as long as it does to fire up, yeah. you know, to load up the just the main menu even, right? But then just to go from the main menu to settings, go back from settings to back to the main menu, fire up games, you know. The, I, I, I don't think I was as surprised um, as I've ever been when I, when you, you know, when you, even to this day, post-patch, you know, they patch this thing up and they've tried to improve it. But when you start a game on the Wii U, the whole screen kind of freezes for yeah. about five seconds. And it's, it's properly five seconds, yeah. which is a long time when you're sitting there and you've got all these me's all around the screen that are just absolutely frozen. And that's like a real, um, that's kind of a, that's real bad quality, isn't it? When it, in terms of like how to handle software, like how a piece of software loads into RAM just to, just by f- absolutely freezing the screen. Those are the kind of things you don't expect from Nintendo, it's right? Funny, that, yeah, this, I was going to say it's fine. It's, everything beautiful, right? Yeah, I was going to say it's fine. It's similar to the Switch, but in, the, in a different way. That The Switch feels like a non-Nintendo piece of kit and in some respects the Wii U feels non-Nintendo as well but in a bad way that you don't yeah. usually associate Nintendo with bad uh, bad interface experiences yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah it, you're right and I, so I'm, I am looking forward to seeing and I'm hoping this time you know that all of that stuff comes together very tightly of course we also haven't seen probably the most intriguing part of the machine um that we haven't seen yet is is the online is the online stuff mm. right like how is that all going to work how are they going to handle that i know they're talking about the 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 this an, an app a companion app um how how are they going to handle that uh, how are you going to handle friends list adding friends removing friends you know look i, I get it nintendo you're you're a family friendly company and you want to make sure that little johnny doesn't get stalked by someone on xbox right like uh, like they can on xbox but Please get the hell out of my friend adding process, right? Like, if I type in someone's name and I add them as a friend, I just want it to work. I don't want to have to exchange a lengthy code. I don't want them to have to put my name into the system and then me have to put their name in and then and all of that stuff, right? Yeah. It just needs to be like Xbox. It just needs to be you put someone's name in and it, you hit add and they accept and you're good, right? Like, that's how it's done. Yeah, I'm hoping that. Have you tried any of their mobile apps yet, like Miitomo and Super Mario Run and stuff like that? Oh um, yeah, I love I love Super Mario Run. Yeah. I'm hopeful that those are also experiments in that side of things because Miitomo and Super Mario Run are a piece of piss to add friends to, 
um, you're just going to click add a friend, it automatically connects to your Twitter and Facebook and just finds pals who have also got it and you just add them and then they get the invite and they accept it, job done, uh, without any friend codes. I mean you can have friend codes as well if they don't have social networks, but um, adding, them, adding friends to fucking Super Mario Run is a lot easier than adding a friend to the Wii U or the 3DS, so I'm hoping yeah. that that's, that's a start. There's, there's, there is, it's still ever so slightly cumbersome though, because for, for some, for no reason at all, some tinfoil hat reason, I don't like to give anything access to Facebook, right? I don't use mm. Facebook to log into anything, right? I always choose the make my own password and username option. Yeah. And that's what I did on Super Mario Run. So Mario Run, I think for all intents and purposes, has no access to my Facebook friends list. And I tried to add, I only have one friend on Super Mario Run. It's a friend of mine who lives in London. And she said, uh, what's your username? I'll add you. And I, and I just looked at my username on Super Mario Run somehow, right? And I, and I gave her this username that I have. And it didn't work. And, and I think what it was is that I have a sort of network username, but then I have an in-game username or something like that. And it's, it wasn't immediately obvious which one was which. So I was giving her one and she was adding it and it wasn't working. And she was giving me one and I was adding it and it wasn't working. And we were both getting really frustrated. And I sort of gave up. And then eventually, somehow, she um, she made it work some other way. I think I must have given her my other name, or she knew my other gaming name somehow. Mm-hmm. So that's still it's still not as simple as right. If you want to add me on PlayStation Network, you just ask me what my PSN account name is, right? Yeah. And there's no ambiguity there. Like I know what it is, so I just give it to you, and it just works. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that Nintendo just use. I already have a Nintendo account. Obviously, I signed up from the day they launched the website. So I just want to give people that that weird name and they type it in and they add me and it works right um the other interesting point i think someone on um i think uh ign mentioned it up have mentioned it that like so they're talking about using the phone app for game chat as well right Mm -hmm. which at first kind of sounds cool right i didn't really think about it too much like okay i don't mind i've got my smartphone i don't mind firing that up on the side right but what's 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 weird is if you're in handheld mode, say in your bed or something, yeah. you're using your cell phone for. Uh, I'm sorry, the Americanism's coming out here. Oh, I've been here for seven years. Cell phone, mobile, right? <laughs> um, if you're using your mobile phone as your as your connection to the part the party that you're in, and that's how you're talking to others, and and your headphones are plugged into your phone, how are they handling? How are they handling game uh, game sounds? You know, like how are you yeah. listening to? coming out of the speakers or what's you know the game sound is it being passed to your phone via bluetooth as well yeah or, you know which i can't imagine is ideal yeah it's a weird one it's yeah there's definitely a lot of questions that still need to be answered there um especially if there's a fee involved um i'm curious to see because considering it's free for a period until autumn or something and sorry fall um, and then they kind of got to decide. Uh, then they're going to start charging for it. That gives them like a five or six month period where they've got to prove it's worth paying for. So they need to. Yeah. It can't just be a kind of that'll do situation. Now it has to be the fucking real deal. Otherwise, people aren't going to pay for it. I mean, we assume that they they're not charging at first because they want everybody to try it out, right? Um, but it it could also be that they can't justify charging something. Um, money for something that isn't ready yet Um, and I don't and I don't necessarily mean architecturally although it does seem like there are some things that they haven't quite got ready for launch but if you you can't charge for an online service when there aren't that many online games to play right yeah Uh, Mario Kart isn't out at launch Splatoon isn't out at launch Um, and you can't ask people to pay for an online service and then they say well what can I play online and then you say well this this one thing over here so (laughs) Yes, <laughs> basically, yeah. So, um, so I'm, I imagine it allows them to build up a bit of a library of online games. It allows them to prove the process actually works, and people want to own it. Yeah. Um, it also allows them. It also allows them to get some of their shit finished, right? That's not yet done. Um, but it's good, you know. It's twenty dollars a month. So even if it's not that great, it's almost like it's like money falling out of your pocket and don't even bother to pick it up, kind of money, right? Yeah. Like. Who gives a shit? It's twenty dollars. Um, twenty to thirty, I guess, is the estimate. Yeah. But fifty, you know, it's weird that that's not a great difference for, to, to fifty or sixty. It's not. That's not going to break the bank either. But so for some reason, sixty dollars feels like a, feels like a, a lot more meaningful a piece of uh, a chunk of change, yeah. right? Twenty bucks is literally what 
two beers uh, at a reasonable yeah. bar in town, you know, like no one cares. Well, that's the thing, yeah, is when you break it down per month, because like $60 a year is what, like five or a month? Five bucks. Yeah. Uh, whereas 20 a year is like not even two. Like $2 yeah, a month it's, like, that's what is it? it's, the, it's the modern day price of a can of Coke, probably. I haven't bought a can of Coke in years, but, yeah, pretty much. you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when you think of it that way, it's just such a small amount of money. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to give Nintendo my money and let them, let them build this system. Right. And, yeah. but who, who am I kidding? I would be, if it was a hundred dollars a year, I'd still do it. <laughs> it's so. 400 pound a day. <laughs> I thought, fine. Just fucking yeah. take it. You pricks. Um, <laughs> you know, my prediction is, um, just, Proper guesswork. You know, there's this rumor going about that they're going to port uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon to the Switch eventually. I think they'll yeah. announce it E3, say it's coming out in October, and by the way, on that day, we're going to start charging for online. So you pricks who want to trade and battle people online are going to have to pay for it. Fucking get stuck in. That's that's your predi- Is that that's the Scully and prediction? That's the Scully yeah. prediction. Twenty seventeen. Mystic Mystic Meg Scotland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mystic Meg. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, actually, I, I think it's. I feel like it's quite hard to predict what's what E three is going to be like for Nintendo because yeah. one, they've shown a, a relative disinterest in the show in the recent years, right? Um, but this year, they actually have a machine that they could really, you know, they could they could go go in there with a real bang. You know, they've got some clout this year. They've got yeah. a machine that everybody is talking about. The general consensus, as far as I can see from podcasts and and, and previews and everything, is that people are loving this thing. And if they go to E3, all guns blazing with a couple of new games to show, not just Mario, not just play all the games that are already out, but like, here's some awesome games that you're going to be playing in 2018. Yeah. Um, who knows what they may be? You know, everybody's expecting retro, you know, basically retro, for those who don't know, are the guys who made Metroid Prime. And they've gone pretty much silent for, what is it, three or four years now. So no, and no one, no one knows anything about what those guys have been working on. So, um, New either, they all, either they were all raped and killed, right? Or, or they're making something incredible, <laughs> right? So they're making something incredible, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I'm hoping to see it this year. Mm. It doesn't have to be out this year. I don't expect it to be, but yeah. I'd even, like to even see if it's it. just like a teaser thing saying, because this, this is the thing it's, it's a great thing Nintendo does, but also a frustrating thing where they, by and large, they, they save announcements until games are closer to release. Uh, not not like two months away, but like six months away or eight months away. So, which is why they do the Nintendo Directs, obviously now because so they can say, "Oh, here's a new trailer for something you've never heard of." And by the way, it's out in like five months. People go and lose their mind, but they have this E3. They have to fucking go. No, here's stuff that's coming out next year, and you're going to have to wait for it. But because that's the only negative, the only major negative that people are given about the Switch just now, which I think is an unfair one, is that there's not a lot in the first year. But there's not a lot in the first year of every system. Uh, yeah, there isn't. But Nintendo have openly admitted several times on several occasions that, you know, even Reggie's quoted as saying that their major, one of their major mistakes with the Wii U was an inconsistency in the release schedules, yeah. a shortage of software, um, and therefore a shortage of excuses for people to engage with the machine, right? To talk about it, to buy it, to play it. Yeah. Um, and they absolutely intend to fix that this time around, right? So I guess it is somewhat disappointing that they don't have, you know, they've got Zelda at launch. I was actually kind of hoping they'd have two big hitters at launch, yeah. right? Like at launch, not, I'm not talking about April 15th. I'm talking about March 2nd. Yeah. Like two massive games to play on launch and then like a huge game every two or at least three months, like yeah. a big game for us to all get stuck into. Now, Mario Kart, I personally love Mario Kart. Um, and I'm sure, hopefully, if the Switch sees a lot more success, there's a lot of people out there that haven't played it, right? Because no one bought the Wii U. Yeah. So inherently, no one played Mario Kart 8, right? So hopefully, loads of people appreciate that that's a huge game and everybody should buy it. It's incredible. It's my favorite Mario Kart game mm-hmm. ever um, by a long shot. But it's I don't think you can add it to the list of massive blockbusters for this console because it's a remake. It's its a couple year, years old and yeah. it's a remake, right? Um, Splatoon is a sequel that's a good thing um, I don't know how how much of a system st- seller Splatoon is though is it is it really or I know it went down better than people was expecting people yeah. kind of thought it would fade away and actually it's become a big thing and that's awesome I love that but I mean, is if, it a system if, yeah, then if it was a massive system seller then the Wii U would have sold more 
Right. So, I mean, it, it sold well for the Wii U, but it remains to be seen whether it's... Because that was like a niche audience that bought it, but if, if a lot more people are going to ultimately buy the Switch, which we hope will be the case, which, which you've got to expect will be the case given the hype behind it, um, is it going to... Is, are those sales for Splatoon 2 going to kind of grow at the same rate as Switch sales? Because I'm not massively convinced yet. Yeah. And... and yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that Splatoon is a game that will bring millions and millions of people to the Switch. Right? Yeah. I don't think anyone's waiting to buy a Switch for Splatoon, or at least if they are, it's it's a niche crowd. Um, I'm absolutely certain millions of people will wait to buy a Switch until Mario comes out. Right? Um, they might be hoping for a hardware discount by then, but I very much doubt it. I yeah. think the Switch will be priced pretty much consistently through the first 12 months, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I, so Mario's the next big one, and and that's a full, you know, what, eight months after the machine releases? Yeah. So let's not be too down about it. I mean, Zelda's more than enough for me, right? Like, from and for many people, for pretty much everyone who's going to buy that machine, Zelda is the single biggest reason to get it. Yeah. Um, it is out on the Wii U, so if you're one of the 10 people that own Wii U, you could buy that machine and not spend 300 bucks on a new console, right? But... But I'm going to buy the new console to play Zelda, and I'm going to go all out and get the Pro Controller and do all that good stuff as well, right? But it really, I think it's really important in the next six months um, around E3 or thereabouts, if Nintendo choose not, not to participate too strongly in the actual show, that before or after E3, they show what's going to be awesome about the Switch yeah. next year, you know? And, it's, and it needs to be awesome, like, really good. Because I think this first year... It, we're going to cruise through this year, I think, and and the Switch is going to survive mostly on the hype of what it actually is. Yeah. Um, hype dies down after Christmas, and then it's going to be all about the games. And um, and I think I'm hoping that you know Nintendo's sitting on a bunch of franchises that they haven't done anything with in a long time. Uh, Metroid. <laughs> it's like it's almost a sin to mention that game anymore. Like Metroid, they're sitting on. Yeah. I'd love to see a wave race. You know, I'd love to see something more from. Uh, we could do it. We'd have another Pikmin game. I love Pikmin. You know, we have Pikmin on Wii U, but no one bought it, right? And I'm really hoping they don't just remake all of the Wii U games because no one bought them, right? Yeah. Um, Smash. I think Smash is inevitable, and I don't think if if they do call it a sequel, I think it will be mostly the same content, but with just significant more significantly more stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, but it would be a shame to just ditch such a massive and incredible game like Smash. Yeah, oh, there's, um, no doubt, there's no doubt there's no doubt there's a Smash coming. Even if, for now, like you say, if it's like a, like a almost like they do a Mario Kart with it and do a deluxe one just to keep us busy for now. Especially, especially because bet, there's four more of those Smash Brothers Amiibo which they haven't released. The Bayonetta one and the Cloud one and that, and you almost get the feeling they're waiting for this to do it and that'll be like the kind of deluxe thing with the last four Amiibo or some shit like that. Because there's no other logical reason why they haven't finished the series yet of the Smash yeah. Brothers Amiibo. Yeah. I mean, in general, though, right, like people like me and you, like I, I was looking at my Wii U collection this morning and it's entirely first party, right? Like I didn't I didn't buy anything third party except for Bayonetta 2. Yeah. Uh, and Zombie U, which was like when a, when a console comes out, you just buy anything that you may even remotely consider playing. Right. I didn't end up liking Zombie U, but um, it's all first party. And I'm happy. Right. That's it. I'm good. I get my new Mario. I get my new Zelda. I get my new Mario Kart. I get a couple of other franchises that I appreciate. And I'm good, yeah. right? Money well spent. But for most people, they're going to want more. Um, and the elephant in the room is third-party support, right, for Nintendo. And uh, at this point, you know, people seem a lot more upbeat about third-party support for the Switch. But I must admit that at this point, I'm I'm not super encouraged. Um, I'm not convinced. Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, just a fundamental um, uh, a fundamental nature of having a third oddball console is that I don't think Nintendo has yet proven that a, a video game industry that supports two very similar consoles and then a third oddball one even exists. Mm. You know, like, do, do we live in a world where the major publishers are willing to bring all of their big hitter franchises to two very similar consoles that they can develop to at the same, for the set at the same time and then invest a packet of money 
on a third console that is not powerful enough to run the same SKU, so they have to do significant architectural downgrades, yeah. right? Um, or, you know, downgrade sounds bad, but let's just say they have to do architectural changes yeah. to make it work on this machine, which, which requires investment, you know, man hours. It requires money. Yeah. Basically, it requires money. And they're doing, and are they going to do that for a machine that has a vastly smaller install base, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't think the answer is yes. I don't care how good the, the switch is, and I don't care if it's a massive success in the next two years and they sell, you know, 10 million of them, you know, the, the, PS, the PS4 and the Xbox One run the exact, they can make one game and it will run on both machines and they can sell it to the 50, and 50 million and growing people on the PlayStation and the 25 or 30 million and growing on the Xbox and call it quits, right? Yeah. Why do they, they wouldn't need to spend the extra money on developing it for this, an uglier version of the same game for a console that only 5 or 10 million people can play, yeah. right? Which is why, yeah. which is why I don't get why. Sorry, what you saying? Um, historically, those are people that would buy their games. They only buy Nintendo games, right? Like Nintendo console owners buy Nintendo games. And I think another important part of that is that even if they do, right? Let's say we live in a miracle world where all of the newest cards and and battlefields and all that stuff comes to the Switch. I don't think Nintendo is making this console for people who are going to own just the Switch, right? They're going to own a uh, high-end console and the Switch, right? They're going to own an Xbox or a PlayStation and the Switch. Yeah. Most Switch owners, I think, at least core Switch owners, are going to own a high-end console. You're not going to buy COD on the Switch, mm. right? I don't think you're going to, unless you really desperately want to play it in a portable fashion. Yeah. You're going to buy it on your PS4 Pro and play it in 4K on a Samsung-like SUHD crazy TV, right? You're not going to buy it on the Switch. So it'll be the worst version of multi of, of multi platform games if it's supported. Yeah, and I don't think it will be. This is the thing, and I think that's I think that's the message. Nintendo, I think Nintendo could be doing a better job of pushing the, the handheld thing. I know they had the Super Bowl advert where ninety percent of the advert was a guy playing it in his hands and, and, and not so much the TV. But when you look at that presentation, uh, the, the presentation they did at the start of uh, start of January, uh, where they blatantly said this is a home console, and then you had Reggie getting interviewed a couple of days later saying, "Yeah, don't worry, this is definitely first and foremost this is a home console. 3DS is still a going concern because obviously they want to keep selling the 3DS." If they drove further home the point that no, this is like a really cool handheld, um, I think there, I think there might be. I think there are some people like the, the hardcore for each franchise. Not everyone, but like for me, it's FIFA. Like if I know the I know the FIFA that comes to the Switch. Is going to be a shit version of the FIFA that's on Xbox One and PS4 because it's probably not going to be able to handle Frostbite engines. So what you'll probably get is an enhanced version of the 360 version or something like that. But I don't mind that. I'm happy to buy that just because I'm like a ridiculous FIFA fucking maniac. I'll happily take that for when I'm on the move. Other games not so much, but that'll be my kind of thing. Um, but I don't think they're they're really driving it in, into people's heads a lot that. So you can these are like console quality games you can take on the movie. It might not be PS4 and Xbox One quality, but it's certainly better than 360 and PS3 quality. And you can kind of if you ever wanted a handheld 360 or a handheld PS3, you've got one now. Fucking battering, but they're yeah they're not really yeah. I, it's I guess it's about swaying people's impressions away from thinking of it as a low end home console and more towards thinking of it as a high end handheld, yeah. right? Um. But I get the impression that Nintendo, first and foremost, wants you to understand that it's a, like the reason why it's a cool handheld is because it's a home console. Yeah. So it's kind of a catch-22 that they need to convince you that it is. They don't want you to think of it as a low-end console. Um, they want you to think of it as a high-end portable, but they don't want you to think of it as a portable. Yeah. Because I don't think people care as much about portables, right? Like the, the portable market is has been on decline for a long time, um, and people don't need another portable games console. Mm. It's... It's it's the it's the home console that you can take out is the real selling point, right? But yeah, like we said, when you think of it as a home console, you think, well, of the three, it's significantly underpowered, yeah, right? Yeah, that's the thing they can they can to see. To me, I don't care. I, I'm happy with the way Zelda looks. I'm happy. I'm happy with the way Wii U runs, right? Yeah, like definitely. honestly, I really have a big problem with it. Uh, Mario Kart looks incredible on the Wii U, um, but. 
So I'm not too worried about how a prospective Metroid or Wave Race or any of those games will look on that console. I think the main problem for most people is just that it's another Nintendo console that you're not going to be able to play Battlefield 6 on, right? Like, it's another Nintendo console you're not going to be able to play Grand, uh, GTA, like, 6. And for whatever reason, people fantasize about or people want Nintendo some for some reason to make a console that's strong enough to play all the same games you can already play on the Sony. Um, and I don't think... I, I don't think that's necessary. I don't want a machine like that. Yeah. I, I'd rather Nintendo do what it's doing, right, and make a console like what they have. I'm, I think Switch is absolutely the best thing they could have done, hmm. um, and I'm loving the concept. Uh, so I don't, I, don't, I don't have any problems with it being a less powerful machine and sacrificing some of that power to make it a portable console because I'm looking forward to being able to take Zelda everywhere and take Mario Kart everywhere. Yeah. So No, I agree with that. I mean, they, they could have made it, if, if they'd made it just a home console and made it as powerful as PS4 or Xbox One, it would have probably still finished third because there's a lot of kind of stubborn people out there. And there's a lot of people who have already bought a PS4 or Xbox One, nailed their kind of flag, nailed their, whatever the phrase is, flag to the mast, whatever the fuck it is, and they basically said, no, I'm team, I'm fucking Xbox, I'm PlayStation, and I'm both. Uh, to just do like a GameCube basically and say us two, us two, uh, people just like fuck off, mate. We've already got, <laughs> not, I've already got my trophies <laughs> and my achievements yeah. and my uh, friends list on on Xbox and PlayStation. I'm not going to switch you know, and and buy yeah. fucking Call of Duty on on this equally powerful Nintendo system if all my pals have, have already got something else. So making it just as powerful would have fucked them anyway. So they might as well. They need to go down this different route and see, because it's too late. They're too late this generation to to match them for power. They have to do go down a different yeah. route. And it worked for the Wii, and I don't see why it can't work for this. The, the Wii U was just a fucking mess in terms of marketing and in terms of getting the message across and naming the thing and just being a concept which is cool in practice but trying to explain it to someone it's the hardest fucking thing to explain yeah i mean here's here's my sort of like slightly non-nintendo fan opinion in the wii u wasn't a good concept like i you know i was playing Star Fox this morning and i would have preferred it to you know the n64 star Fox star fox is better mm. right and the reason it's better is because it's conventional, right? Like, I can just play it. It's such a mess of control systems. I'm tilting the pad, and I'm trying to aim, and I'm looking at the screen, and I'm looking at the TV, and the sticks do weird things because they've built this weird control system where instead of just making one of the sticks aim, your your controller is aim. And honestly, I just think it's, it's, it's weird coming from, you know, this is a that's a Miyamoto game, right? Like, yeah. that's a game coming from the guy who made... Running and jumping, the coolest, most fun thing ever, by being so creative with us. So they take a simple control mechanic and expand it to the point where it's so it, it's mind blowing how many possibilities they've, how many scenarios and how much they've done with that simple mechanic of a little guy, a short fat guy that can run and jump, right? And and the, and Star Fox is the complete opposite of that. It's this massive, complex conundrum of of controllers of of control mechanics and. Each vehicle works differently and controls differently, and even the sticks do different things when you're shooting and not shooting, right? Like, one of the sticks turns when you're not shooting, but when you're shooting, it doesn't, it, it sidesteps, and it's just a mess. And and I've been playing games my entire life, and I have a real, like, it's a mental workout just to get my gyrocopter to fly in the direction I want it to fly in, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's almost like the complete opposite design ethos, so... I don't like the Wii U's concept. I never thought, I don't think it was good. The only thing it was good for is occasionally, like, making a Mario level, right, on a touchscreen, which they could have done with an app on your phone or yeah. they could have just done with a control system, like a conventional control system. Uh, again, it's another one of those consoles. Both the Wii and Wii U will go down as consoles that have games. For me, they have games I adore, Mario Galaxy, Mario Kart, but they are games that don't demonstrate, that don't utilize what I thought were poor um, concepts, right? Yeah. Because it's the, and I'm glad that Nintendo is stepping away from that Wii family. Like the Wii era is over yeah. um, to some extent. One, two switch is very Wii ish. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's mostly garbage. <laughs> like one, two switch is mostly garbage, but um, uh, I'm glad that we're sort of letting go of that. The name Wii, the brand and everything to do with it. And now we're back into like real deal, hardcore. This is Nintendo. We've got loads of buttons. We've got loads of analog sticks. 
Yeah. We've got loads of hardcore games and loads of things to do with it, and that's I'm happy for that. So I'm going to stop it there. That's the end of the first part of the interview. Uh, if you want to hear the second part, tune in next week. You don't really tune in, do you? Just download it next week. Keep an eye out next week uh, for the second part of this chat where we get properly stuck into the Switch and everything it offers. Uh, we properly end up gushing for like half an hour about the new Mario game because we're both massive Mario fans talking about some interesting ideas we've got potentially for Super Mario Odyssey that hopefully we'd like to see in it Uh, and then just end up talking about just uh, Mario games in general and what makes them great so it's definitely worth tuning in again next week if you're a big Nintendo fan and specifically a Mario fan to hear what we've got to say um, is a thoroughly enjoyable conversation to have had because both me and Mike are kind of, as you can tell, avid Nintendo fans. So it was fun to kind of shoot the shit, as it were, about Nintendo. So yeah, hopefully you're back next week to hear the second part of the interview. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, sound issues aside, uh, if you enjoyed it, please do uh, review it on iTunes, give it a wee five star rate and subscribe to it if you haven't already on iTunes get downloading the other episodes if you haven't heard them yet, and yeah, that was uh, enjoyable, so like I say, I'll be back next week with part two and let me know on the old Twitter or via the website what you thought of it uh, and I'll speak to you soon, catch you on the flip flop, see you later, bye bye